Good morning. Our scripture today is Nehemiah 1, 1 to 14. <clears throat> now when Sembalat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore for themselves what will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stone out of the heap of rubbish and burn ones out of that? Tobiah, the Hemanite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are we all building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them to the plundered in the lands where they are captive. Do not cover the guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they provoke you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had in mind to work. But when Sembalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Hananite and the Hashtadite heard that the repairing the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the, breach, the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plot together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we pray to our God and and set guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it says, the strength of those who bear the burdens of is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said they will not know or see it till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jew who lived near them came by from all directions and said to them ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, the open place, I stationed the people by the clans with the swords, the spears, and the bows. And I looked and rose and said to the nobles, and to the officials of the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your son, your daughters, your wife, and your home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise your name. We are delighted to be here at your house to worship your name, to give thanks, and we hallow your name in your prayers and in our songs and for the rest of the service. 
We pray for your kingdom to come and reveal in us the joy of your salvation. Lord, continue to abide in us as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Be with Brad as he preached for us and let us to and help us to receive the message that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Sam. This morning we're going to talk about what we are supposed to do when the world despises the work of the people of God. And I'm probably going to say this thing over and over each week because it's so very important for us to understand it so that we can have an understanding of what's going on in the book of Nehemiah. It is that Jerusalem did not need a wall. Jerusalem didn't need a wall because God does not need a wall of stone to protect his people from outside threats. We know that he doesn't need a wall to protect Israel. The Lord himself is their shield and the Lord himself is their defender. So why would God have Nehemiah go to Jerusalem to rebuild a wall when the people of Jerusalem do not need a wall for defense since God himself is their wall of defense? Why expend so much energy in this task? God is not interested in walls, but he is interested in his people learning to work together as a people. He is interested in his people accomplishing things together which would otherwise be impossible. And he is interested in his people in learning to resist evil and not to give up in the face of opposition to the things which God has commanded his people to do. He is interested in them realizing that the task which they have is too great for them, that the dangers are too many, and that without his help they will surely not succeed. He wishes to teach them to lean on him for dependence. He is restoring for himself a people. He is not so much interested in walls. He wants the trust of his people. He wants them to live together as a family and work together as family. That is the point of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. In chapter 3, Nehemiah lists all the people who come together, the leadership of Israel who come together to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Their work and their willingness and their labor was not overlooked by God. And you can read there all the people who helped rebuild, including the one who is in charge of rebuilding the dung gate. It is all there for you to read. However, we will not be reading all of that this morning. The point of chapter 3 is that everything seems to be going well and that the leadership of Jerusalem has come together to rebuild this wall and the project is going forward. Where they had no hope before, now they begin to have hope. It has become rekindled. They are becoming a people again. They are working together to take away their shame. Everyone is pulling together to get the job done. And once again, they could dream of a Jerusalem wherein the presence of the Lord dwelt and the temple could be rebuilt. And once again, sacrifices made to his name. The city would be a city for the people of God again. And maybe the Lord would be faithful and gather together once again all of his people whom he had scattered throughout the earth. But then opposition comes in earnest. As they begin to rebuild the wall, the enemies of Jerusalem see it and they are angered by it. They are furious that the children of Israel are rebuilding. And I want to point out this morning the tactics of the enemy to stop the children of God from going forward in the work which he has given them to do. 
And the first thing that the enemies of God do today in chapter 4 is that they begin to mock the people of God personally. In verse 1, it says that Sanballat comes before them, chapter 4, verse 1. He says, He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, What are these pathetic Jews doing? He calls them pathetic. We've already seen earlier in the chapter that they have no problem insinuating on the motives of the people of Israel. They say, What are you doing? Are you going to be rebelling against the king? which is ridiculous. We know this because the king himself had given letters and orders to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and had sent his man Nehemiah to accomplish the very work which they were doing. So it was a ridiculous threat, a ridiculous insinuation that they were rebuilding the wall to rebel against the king when it was the king himself who had commanded that the wall be rebuilt. So they have no problem with slander and here they are going to make the people themselves feel pathetic. They aren't simply impugning the motives of the people. They're mocking the people themselves. This is the way that the enemy will work. He attack the people of God and you personally and say that you are pathetic. The Jews feel pathetic. They have been living in shame. Over and over again this theme comes. We need to rebuild this wall to remove our shame. We need to rebuild this wall to remove our shame. They already feel torn down and broken. They feel Pathetic, and Sanballat wants to remind them that they are pathetic. That is what he tells them. He says this before the powerful men, or as some translations say, the armies of the surrounding Samaria, of uh, the surrounding area there in Samaria. He says they are pathetic, and the Bible says we are strong. He wants to make the people of God feel small while their enemies seem great, and that they're worthless people. Let this sink in because this is still the tactic of the enemy today. Our enemy, the devil. The enemy will mock you personally, sow seeds of doubt in your heart that you are pathetic, that you are of no consequence, that what you do will be forgotten, that you are unloved and unlovable. And the reason that he does this and the reason that he lies about us and tells us that we are continually failures and that everything we are is worthless, these lies are meant to stop you from believing in God. And I want you to hear me very carefully because I did not say that these lies are meant to keep you from believing in yourself. That enemy doesn't care if you believe in yourself. He wants to stop you from believing in God. Believing in yourself has nothing to do with the plan of the enemy. In fact, he might be happy if you would believe in yourself. I, I read this, this study years ago where they asked a group of Chinese students who excelled at math whether or not they believed they were good at math. And they said, no, we are not good at math. And they asked a group of American students who had done below the standard if they thought they were good at math. And they said, yes, we are good at math. Their belief in their ability to do something was irrelevant to the fact of the matter. The enemy is not trying to get you to believe in yourself. Your culture will tell you to believe in yourself, but the lies of the enemy are designed to keep you from believing in God because it is God who defines who we are. And if you look inside to try to define who you are, you are going to find a mess, a mess of confusion. The Lord is the one who says who we are. 
The enemy says we are of no consequence, that we are forgotten, unloved, and unlovable. What does the Lord say of his people? These are lies. What did God say of Israel? He said, Sam Ballot says, they are pathetic. What does the Lord say? They are his people, his beloved people. They are his betrothed people. They are the apple of his eye. Old Testament says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Through the prophet, he says, how could I forget you, O my people? Though you have gone astray and like a donkey doesn't know his master, so you have forgotten the Lord, but I have never forgotten you. The Lord never forgets. He loves Israel. He pursues them always, even now in the book of Nehemiah. He is still pursuing them. The enemy says they are pathetic. The Lord says they are beloved. The enemy wants them to believe that they are pathetic and God wants them to know that they are treasured. The arrows of the enemy are meant to hit you in your faith in God. There is nothing that was true of Israel that isn't also true of us. We are his people. We are his beloved ones. We are the apple of his eye. The Lord has said not that we are pathetic, but that we are made in his image. We are not forgotten and forsaken and worthless. He has made you his child. He has made you his heir. He has made you his ambassador. He has entrusted you with being his representative on earth to others. You are not pathetic. He has entrusted us with his gospel and he sent his only begotten son to save you. Not only are you not forgotten and pathetic, you are the one that the Lord came to save. There is nothing in heaven or on earth which he will withhold from you for your good. Everything that happens to you that works in your life works together for the good of those who love him. He will not withhold any help from you and there is nothing that is not yours through him. If he has given to you the Son then there is nothing in the universe which he will withhold from you. Do not believe the lies of the enemy when he says that you're, you are pathetic. Don't let the enemy's lies touch you. Believe God, not the lies of the evil men that whisper in our hearts in the dark of night. We are not pathetic. We are joyful and triumphant. We are the children of of the king, image bearers of the only begotten Son of God. We hold the standard of truth. We are the keepers of the gospel. We are not pathetic. That is how Sam Ballot chose to mock the people of Israel, and that is how you will be mocked today. This is how doubt begins. First in God, then ourselves. For separated from him, we are nothing. So the second thing the enemy does, the first thing he does is he mocks us personally and then he moves on to mock our work. Sam Ballot says, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore this wall by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? And Tobiah the Ammonite chimes in helpfully. 
Indeed, even if a fox climbed up on what they are building, he would break down their stone wall. Not only does he say the people are pathetic, but the thing which they are building is worthless. They are mocked personally and their work is mocked. After the enemy tries to convince us that we ourselves are worthless, he will then move on to convince us that our work is worthless and in vain also. Look at these insults to the people of God. The Lord has said rebuild the wall. They are doing the best they can to rebuild the wall. And Tobias says it will not only not keep an army out, but a fox could knock their wall over. And so the question I want to ask you, has the enemy ever whispered into your ear that the work that you do is worthless? After making you feel that you are a pathetic person, non-contributor, not helping, not doing anything for the kingdom of God, has he then said for the things that you have attempted to do that you feel like you are worthless, but you've tried anyway, that what you're doing doesn't matter? Because even if a fox should jump on your wall, it will fall down. He says to you, you will never finish what you started. Why even try? You will fail, and not only will you fail, you are failing. Your life and your work are in ruins. Will you rebuild from this heap of rubble? Any minute now, all you have worked for will completely fall apart. It will not succeed. And the enemy tells you this so that you will not believe in God. He doesn't care if you put your faith in your work, or that you are very proud of what you've done. What the enemy wants is for you not to believe God. He wants to separate you from your Savior. He wants you to doubt that He is good, that He is with you, that He has made you in His image, and that the works you do are important. The things which He has called you to do matter. The measure of success is not given through the eyes of the enemy, nor even our own eyes, but in the eyes of the God who gives us our assignment. He does this to separate you from the Lord. But what does the Lord say of your work? For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you demonstrated for His name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve Him. Hebrews 16. He does not say that your work is worthless. The Word of God says that God is not unjust and He will not forget. He will not forget your work. He teaches us that we are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that we can take hold of that which is truly life. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19. Not only does God not say that what we do is worthless, but it is treasure to be stored up on our behalf. Jesus admonishes us, store up your treasure in heaven where moth and thief cannot break in to steal and moth cannot corrupt, neither can rust destroy. The treasures of our works are being held in heaven. Jesus said, let, us shine, let our light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. Not only are our works not forgotten, but they are an example to others even when we do not know it. If we do not hide our lamp under the bushel but let it shine before men, there is no doubt that God will bless the works of our hands. For He is glorified through our work. 
The enemy will come and say that the wall which you are building is worthless, it is rubble, it will fall down. He will tell you that the thing which you are doing makes no difference. No one is listening. Nothing is changing. Things are going to go off the rails. All that you've tried to do is in vain. This is what the enemy says. Your work is worthless. You are worthless. And all of this is designed to keep you from believing God. To discourage you from the work. Why are Sanballat and Tobias so interested in demoralizing the people of God? Because they know that the work they're doing is important. Because they know that a restored Jerusalem is a threat to them. And so they try to stop them with words of discouragement. The enemy will mock you. The enemy will mock your work. And what is sad is what we see in verse 10. And what we see is sad in verse 11 and verse 12 because the people believed it. In Judah it was said, this is in a poem. It must have been a song. The strength of the laborer fails since there is so much ruin. We will never be able to rebuild the wall Verse 12, when the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and time again, ten times they said to us, everywhere you turn, they will attack. They said, you must come home with us. Stop this business of building the wall. There were those among the people of God who heard these taunts and insults that they were pathetic and that the work was pathetic and they looked at it and believed and said, you need to stop. This will fail. We haven't the strength. It will not work. The people believed the lies of the enemy and became enemies of the work themselves. The reason that the enemy uses these tactics is because they work. The reason the enemy uses these tactics is because he can get us to quit. Jesus said, whoever lays his hand to the plow and looks back again is not worthy of the kingdom of God. The book of Proverbs says, he who begins and quits in the day of distress, how little is his strength. We are fighting a warfare in our hearts and in the world. And what we do is important because every single day, millions of people meet an eternal, meet an eternal God and everything that has happened in their life is virtually meaningless next to the judgment that determines their eternity. And we fight for them and we fight for us. And the work which we do is hard. And by ourselves, we cannot do it. The Lord must help us. You are engaged in this warfare. You cannot quit the field. Even if you give up and believe that I am pathetic, I cannot do this. I cannot obey the things which the Lord has said, for they are too difficult. The, Lord, the devil, the enemy, will never stop. He will never stop destroying you. He will never stop lying to you. Because he fears you. And what you can accomplish for the sake of Christ. He knows the value of a single soul. He knows how deadly 
the king's men and women are when they believe the word of the king. He knows that one person can make a difference. And so the enemy will mock you and he will mock your work and there will be those who believe it and you yourself will believe it if you are not careful. And if that is not enough, the next thing the enemies of God will do will be to threaten them physically. First, they are pathetic. Then their work is pathetic. And then they say, we will come and destroy you while you're at your work. You are pathetic, your wall is pathetic, and we're going to kill you. Yes. The evil one will tell you that you are going to pay. If you continue to do the work which God has given you to do, you will pay. You are a fool to oppose those things which God's word opposes. You are a fool to oppose abortion, for example. This is a woman's right. It is her body. How dare you? Especially if you are a man. Who are you to say anything about abortion? You are not a woman. I've heard these arguments. I don't have a uterus, therefore I have no say in the matter. As if protecting the life of innocence has anything to do with the advocate for life. The enemy will tell you that you are warped and twisted and weak and stupid for the things which you stand for. You are a fool to say that sex outside of marriage is wrong. And that marriage, by the way, is between a man and a woman. You are a bigot. You are backwards. You are wrong. You are a fool. You are pathetic. This is what the culture will tell us. And it would be easier to compromise. You are a bigot and you should be punished. You should be punished. Your business should be punished. You should be punished. These are just the beginnings of the threats of murder that the enemy hurls at the people of God, not here so much, but around the world. You should be punished. But such threats lack force for those who believe in God. For our God is able to even rise us, raise us from the dead. What can man do to us when we have a God who can speak our name and cause us to live again? What are we afraid of? These are the tactics of the enemy that he used to try to stop the building of the wall. And the Lord knew that every single one of these things were going to come to pass. And all of this is so that the people would learn to trust him and to work together and not to quit in the face of opposition, to test and to try them, to see where their loyalties lie, whether they would be a person, a people, that would try to self-preserve in the face of the enemy, or whether or not they would be a people who sought the Lord in all that they did. And the solution to all of these things, Nehemiah helpfully shows us, is prayer. When he sees all these taunts and derisions, he takes it to the Lord. Verse 4, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads, and let them be taken plunder as plunder to a land of captivity. Nehemiah did not mess around. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered or they have perplexed the builders. Nehemiah goes to the Lord in prayer and says, Lord, you hear what they're saying. Bring their insults and their curses back on their own head. Don't curse your people. Curse them. He prays. God, help us 
not to give in to the lies of the enemy. And what happens in verse 6? We rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined up together to half its height. For the people had the will to keep working. Though people came and said you should stop, even their own kinsmen, you should stop this work because you're going to be destroyed and it's no good anyway. They continued to build. Nehemiah prayed and the people continued to work. We have big goals in this church. Big goals. One of the first goals is that you would become more holy. That's the first battle, the sanctification of the people of God. And that's a challenge because we are disobedient to the word of God. We do not believe him. We do not believe him in our giving. We do not believe him for our witness. We do not think that people will change. And we are not faithful enough to work for change. And this is not me trying just to scold you. I'm telling you that this is the fight in my own heart. And that every single one of us deal with this every day. What is the first thing that the devil said to Adam and Eve? Has God really said? Isn't that what he's telling you today? Has God really said? We are fighting for sanctification because the enemy is telling us that the things of this world are more important than the things of the kingdom of God. And we put things in the world before the kingdom of God. That's the enemy who tricked us into doing that. He said, this is where you will find your comfort, your joy, and your ease. Fill in the blank. Not in sacrificial work for the kingdom of God. The church, the devil says, asks too much of us. What about my time? He is doing it to us this morning. Our first great battle is our personal sanctification and to get you and me to see the beauty of the kingdom of God. And Then we want to take this gospel, this struggle which we have, this great salvation, convince others that Jesus is worth it. If we don't first believe God and that the work for the kingdom is worth it, how will we ever convince them? We have gotten used to the forgiveness of sin as if it is a small thing. This is the battle which we face every day. But not only do we want to take this to our community, we want to take it to the world. Out there, beyond our locale, into places like Senegal and Lebanon, what will happen to us if we go there and say, will they not kill us in some of these lands? They will oppose the gospel and maybe even harm us. Something could happen to us while we're on the way. And besides, the people won't listen. They persecute Christians. That's not really a whole lot different than what Sanballat and Tobias were saying about the work of the children of Israel in the city of Jerusalem. He says that we are pathetic, that our work will fail, and that we are going to be punished for continuing it. It's a lie. It is a lie. 
You are amazing. Because the Son of God died for you. And that is amazing. Not because we were so great, but because He is. He died for you because He loves you. Has given you a new life, made you an ambassador, and said, I'm going to send you on a great adventure where you're going to be opposed by the greatest enemy of all. The adversary, Satan himself, will come against you to stop you, but he cannot prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against you, for behold, I am with you even till the end of the age. So no, you are not pathetic, and your work is not in vain. The Lord blesses it. And they cannot harm us physically. John Wesley used to love to say that he was an immortal until his work was through. He could not be killed until his task was finished. And it's true of you too. This is how we react when the world despises the work which we do. We pray. Lord, do not let us become discouraged. Lord, do not let us take our hand from the plow. Lord, do not let us become weary in doing good. Help us believe that in due season we will reap if we continue. Now, where are you this morning? Where are you? As the word is preached to you, are you familiar with the tactics of the enemy? And beyond familiar, have you started believing it? Has it taken your joy? Fight! That's what Nehemiah says. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord. And fight for your countrymen, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Do not be afraid. Fight. This is what we're called to. And we will be victorious. For the Lord's people persevere in the face of the opposition of the enemy. And remember this. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. But against powers and principalities of this present darkness. Who are manipulating those we are called on to give the good news of salvation. They are tools in his hands and don't know it. We're fighting for them. But first... We must win the battle in our own heart every day. Let's pray.